You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our text of this afternoon, which comes from the book of Numbers, we're going to read the last chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus 40, the verses 17 to the end. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar, and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as you find it in Numbers chapter 9. Beginning at verse 15 to 10, verse 10. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever or wherever the clouds settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. 
Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at His command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, wherever or whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with His command through Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. When a trumpet blast is sounded, the the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of a second blast, the camps on the south are to set out. The blast will be the signal for setting out. To gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not the same signal. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. And then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed feasts and new moon festivals, You are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, have you ever heard people ask the question, who is running this show? Or who is... In charge here? Perhaps you've even asked that question yourself at times. You know, you start a new job, you try to find your place in this new company, you're told what to do, but after a while you sense that it doesn't make a lot of sense. That what you do overlaps with what other people's do, that there is no real sense of a a job description. People running everywhere, doing all kinds of things, but in a very unorganized fashion. And so questions arise. Questions about leadership, about direction, responsibility, planning. Who is running the show here? And of course, that's a question that, beloved, is not just work-related. It applies to, of course, many areas of life. We might ask, who is running this family? Who is running this school? Who is running this business or this municipality? Where is the leadership? Well, beloved, thankfully, that is not an issue in our text. We're here in Numbers chapter 9 and Numbers 10. We see clearly that once again it is so to speak, the Lord our God who is running the show. It's always the Lord who speaks first. It's the Lord who tells Moses to tell Israel or to tell Aaron. 
It's the Lord who answers all the questions and gives all the needed directions to His people. And the result? Well, they are now ready for the next step or stage. You know, they've been made ready thanks to a census having been taken, thanks to an order of march having been established, to the Levites having been selected, to the offerings having been presented, the tabernacle being built, the lamps being lit, and the Passover having been celebrated. And thanks to all of this, Israel is now ready to head out and to go toward the promised land. But what route will they follow? And how are they going to make their way through the forbidding, awful desert? And what will they do in the face of all manner of obstacles and enemies? Who will lead them? And again, the answer, beloved, is never in doubt. The Lord will lead them. But then lead them in a special way and with special means at His disposal. I preached to you this afternoon on the following theme. The Lord leads His people by cloud and trumpet in their wanderings, in their warfare, and in their worship. Well, beloved, on reading the first part of our text, it's rather obvious that here we are in a world that lacks satellites and GPS units. The Israelites don't have any of those little gadgets whereby you type in a certain address, say, in the city of Jericho, and then it'll tell you the shortest or the fastest or the most scenic way to get there. Why, as far as we know, they didn't even have a map. In short, they have not a clue as to how to get from the desert of Sinai all the way to the Jordan River, from the wilderness to the Promised Land. And yet all of that, all of that didn't really matter. For they had the Lord, their God. And He is better than any map, better than any GPS unit. For not only does He know the way, but He knows everything that's needed and necessary along the way. And besides, the Lord has a cloud. A very special cloud. It's described for us in the verses 15 to 23. Verse 15 tells us that no sooner was the tabernacle set up for the very first time and this special cloud came, and it must have been quite a sight, and this cloud enveloped it and covered it. And even Moses couldn't get in it. And also it says that at night this cloud, it was as if it was on fire. So it was a cloud by day and a fire by night. But then verse 17 comes along and tells us that this is not just a changing cloud, but also a moving cloud. Sometimes the cloud would rise higher in the sky and move forward. And that was the signal for the Israelites to move forward as well. At other times it would stay put for days. 
And that told the people that they were to remain where they were. So you can say we have a movable cloud, we have an illuminated cloud, and we also have, in some sense, a rather unpredictable cloud. The verses 19 and following tell us that the the Israelites never knew precisely when they would be staying somewhere for a while or whether or not they would be moving on the next day. It was all up to the cloud. No, that's wrong. It's not up to the cloud. But you see, there is a phrase that keeps on repeating itself throughout our text, and it is the phrase at the Lord's command. And especially verse 23 is very clear about the fact that it is the Lord who is controlling the cloud. At the Lord's command, they encamped. And at the Lord's command, they set out. Oh, and how? How that must have, in a way, comforted the people. I'm sure, I can't of course be absolutely sure, but I'm sure that there was many a morning when an Israelite would go out of his tent and his wife would say, Honey, is the cloud still there? Is it standing still? Is it rising? Is it moving? What's happening? And you know, the very presence of that cloud must have reassured the people greatly, and in a sense it must have made their day. For it told them that the Lord was really with them. That He was leading them. That He would be beside them and before them every step of the way. Why, in some ways, you can say that cloud is like a sacrament. As children of God, we're supposed to live the Christian life by faith and not by sight. But you and I know that can sometimes be rather hard to do. And you know, our God knows this. He knows our frame, He knows our weaknesses, and and that's why He often gives these visible signs throughout the Scriptures. A rainbow in the sky to tell us that the flood is not going to come as it did once. A flaming bush in the wilderness telling us that the Lord has seen the oppression of His people. A glittering gold-covered ark to carry throughout the desert, symbolizing the very presence of God. A bronze snake to look at and to be spared sickness and death. Water sprinkled on little heads to remind us of who claims us. And as well as bread to eat and wine to drink at the supper of our Lord. You see, beloved, God knows the needs of His children. And He knows how we need reassurance and strengthening all the time. And so you can say that cloud, that cloud's a sign of comfort. But you know, it must also at times have been a sign of testing. You know, it's not hard to follow someone or something when 
when the coast is clear and the landscape is lush and green and the obstacles are few and minimal. But you know, when the obstacles are formidable, then it's another story. And here they are. Jeremiah later on tells us that the Lord led the Israelites through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. In other words, the cloud is not taking them out for a picnic in the countryside. No, the cloud is leading them through really, really rough and dangerous terrain. And it's the kind of landscape that surely generated more than a few questions. Where in the world are we going? And why is the cloud going left when the right looks much more attractive? And why is the cloud leading us through this dead and forbidden and barren place? And how will we ever get out of here? All kinds of questions. And when you think of it, what do all of those questions require but trust? Israel is being challenged on an almost daily basis to put its trust in the Lord. It's being forced to confess, but the Lord knows. He knows where we're going and He knows what we're doing. And so God's ancient people are being trained and taught to place all their confidence and the Lord, their God. But you know, not just God's ancient people, what about God's modern people today? What about us? What does a passage like this say to us today? How does it speak? Well, beloved, in the first place, does it not remind you once again of the fact that by nature and character we are still a pilgrim people. Here the Israelites are on the move to the promised land. That's their goal. That's their destination. And we who are the Israel of God today are still on the move, only then not to the promised land per se, but to an even greater a more glorious future. A new heaven. New earth. And then, of course, I'm not saying that as we're busy traveling along the way, we should ignore all of our responsibilities in this life or society or world. We should not be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. We should not sit back, watch the world go to hell in a handcart and wait for the rapture. No, we have a calling to live and to witness as prophets, priests, and kings. But at the same time, we also have a calling always to remember the bigger picture. And it tells us that the end and the goal and the final stop is not here and in this broken down world. 
No, the final stop will come down from heaven. And it will result in a transformed, renewed creation. And therefore, beloved, keep your eye. As you go through this life every day, keep it on the real goal. And it's not a condo in Maui. And neither is it a beachfront in Mexico. No, it's God's new world. But between then and now, there's work to do, challenges to meet, sadness to deal with, wounds to bind up. But thankfully, we never do it alone because God goes with us. And that doesn't mean getting up tomorrow and looking for a cloud above this church building. But rather it means looking in faith to Jesus Christ. For he's the one who goes with us every day as he promised. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As Christ is with us always. His word His spirit, his presence, his grace, his redeeming work goes with us. Always. And that, just like the cloud, represents both a great comfort and a great challenge. It's a comfort to know that as we continue our pilgrimage through this world, Through its valleys and troubles, its setbacks and temptations, its dangers and difficulties, that we do not go alone. And it's a challenge to heed the call. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. It's a challenge to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, we must and we may. The cloud has given way to the living Savior. But then, beloved, if there's a cloud in our text, there are also trumpets. More specifically, there are two hammered or trumpets of hammered silver. And their function, well, notice in our text, it's for calling the community together and for setting out. When both are used, the whole community is supposed to assemble before God at the tent of meeting. When only one is sounded, then only the leaders or the heads of the clans of Israel are to gather at the tent of meeting for a meeting. And when a trumpet blast is sounded, it says, the tribes on the east are to set out. And when a second blast is sounded, the trumpets or the tribes on the south are to set out. And also notice that the trumpet blast for calling the people together and the trumpet blast for telling the people to set out are to be different. Verse 7 says, not with the same signal. 
In other words, don't blow the trumpet the same way every time for every occasion. But there's more. For the trumpets not only gather the people and the leaders together for sacred assembly, and the trumpets not only tell them to set out, the trumpets are also used for war. Verse 9 states, when you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. What does that tell you? Well, it informs you that the Lord guided His people by more than just a cloud. It also instructs us that He used trumpets, trumpets to guide as well as to gather His people for war. But notice something else. The trumpets do more. They, they also, as it were, pardon the expression, wake up God. Verse 9b reads, Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. In other words, when the trumpets sound in times of oppression, then the people will hear, but even more important, the Lord will hear. He will hear and help His people. Now that was for his people then. What about his people today? Should we order a few trumpets of hammered silver? Should we get some of the young people here to learn how to blast away on these trumpets? I think you all realize the absurdity of that. And yet, there is a message here. The first message is that the war is not over. By that, however, I do not mean the kinds of war that Israel fought. We do not live in the promised land. We are not oppressed by the enemies in the same way as the Israelites often were. We do not need to listen for the trumpet blasts, take up our swords, and then charge. But nevertheless, we do need to realize there's still a war going on, a much deeper, more treacherous war. It's not the war that is out for physical conquest. It's not a war of flesh and blood, but rather it's a war of the Spirit. And how often does the Apostle Paul not come back to that theme? How often does he not say our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual hosts of evil in the heavenly places? Beloved, our war today is spiritual. It's against the devil and his allies. It's against the current philosophies of materialism and secularism, hedonism and postmodernity. 
It's against all those media forces that desensitize us to violence, filthy and blasphemous talk, sexual permissiveness and perversity. And as such, beloved, we need to be careful. Sad to say, we need to be careful when it comes to the company we keep, books that we read, the computer games that we play, the television programs and the movies and the videos that we watch, and the places we go to. Because there's a war on. And at the same time, Paul also reminds us we need to be in a state of constant training, putting on the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Yes, there's a war on. But you say, if there's a war, where are the trumpets? Well, there are no longer any literal trumpets. But still, there are those who did or do what trumpets once did. And who are they? They are the pastors and the teachers of the church. They are the elders of the church. It's their task, and that includes also my task to you, to warn you about the enemy. And to call you to battle. And in addition, it's our task to intercede with the Lord for you. To pray down divine help on his earthly people. Really and truly, our earthly pilgrimage is not one of ease and peace, but so often one of struggle and strife. And you know, beloved, the battle will not be over until that day, Paul says, when the last trumpet sounds. And so, our life today is one of pilgrimage, it's one of spiritual warfare, It's also something else. There's another aspect in our text. Consider the trumpets again. When do they sound? Well, you know, they sound for war and they sound for for worship. Look at verse 10, which says, Also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed feasts and new moon festivals, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. What all of this means is that the trumpets call the people to war, and the trumpets call the people to worship. In other words, you can say the trumpets are used for very different purposes. They're used to summon people to defend themselves and to fight, but they're also used to summon people to sing and to rejoice and adore. 
special feast days and festivals, the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings are to be accompanied with the sounding of the trumpets. And you know, beloved, when the world reads about this or hears about it, it can understand the reason for the former, but not for the latter. You know, to sound the trumpets for war, in a way that kind of makes sense. It's kind of an alarm. Wakes everybody up. Tells them what's happening. But you know, to sound trumpets for worship, many people would say that's a waste of time and of effort. What good is worship anyway? What sense does it make? What good does it do? But you know, beloved, then we need to think again of life as a pilgrimage and ask yourself, what is it that enables you to go on in this life of pilgrimage? What is it that equips you, encourages you, comforts you? What is it that gives you hope and substance and perspective? Is it not those times and those moments and those occasions when you come into the presence of the Lord together and worship Him? Aren't there times when you say to yourself, this is what life is all about? It's not just about survival. It's not just about making money. It's not just about having fun. It's not just about all manner of luxuries. No, life is about living before the face of the Lord God Almighty. And when we as a congregation with heart and mind praise His name, petition His throne, read and labor together over His word, when we receive and witness the sacraments, and what we are doing is gathering strengths for our pilgrimage and receiving help from above. Who is running the show today? Who's in charge of our lives, this church, this community, this world? It's the Lord, your God. It's the Lord who governs all of creation today through His Son, Jesus Christ. As a pilgrim people, He leads us in war and worship. He leads us every day. And he will continue leading us until he brings us hope. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.